0: Imagine a bank that believes in helping members save money instead of nickel and diming them. That offers free ATMs nationwide and doesn't charge monthly service fees. That's USAA Bank. Find out more at usaa.com/banking.
1: You are listening to A Hive Talk Live stinger. Buzz, buzz. Welcome in, Hornets fans, to the Saturday sit-down here on HiveTalkLive.com. It's Hornets Talk for the Hardcore Fan Weekend Edition. I've got a great conversation coming up with At the Hive writer Russell Varner on Marvin Williams, Marvin the Martian, having one of the best years of his career for the Hornets so far this season, we delve deep into the article that he wrote, which you should go read on at atthehive.com, profiling what has made Marvin so special for the Hornets this season, and he certainly showed it off against the Miami Heat. Final stat line for Marvin, let's read it off. 27 points, 2 assists, 4 rebounds, 12 of 17 shooting, and get this, he only scored 2 three-pointers. Three-pointers, his calling card this season – Marvin doing a lot better at scoring the ball inside. I talk with Russell Varner of AtTheHive.com. More about that in just a bit. We're also going to have a preview of tonight's game against the Washington Wizards. The Hornets lose against Miami last night, but they've got no time to sit and think about it. They've got to get up and play this huge divisional matchup against the Washington Wizards. We'll have a full preview of that after the interview with Russell. Got to get a little house cleaning done before we talk about this Miami game. First of all, thank you so much to the listeners who made the last show on Thursday. Hive Talk Live Thursdays brought to you by ESPN 730, one of the highest listened to shows. It broke a record for live listeners. It's on the way to breaking a record for archived listens. Amazing stuff from the listeners out there. You guys, uh, you you listen to us and and you make this happen, and we really appreciate everything that that you guys uh, do in terms of tweeting at us and and, and giving us questions and giving us comments and giving us feedback. Thank you so much. Also, we've got a DVR alert. Set your DVRs 6.50 in the morning tomorrow on Fox 46 here in Charlotte. It's Good Day Charlotte. David and I are going to be on the show talking about Hornets on Super Bowl Sunday. That's pretty crazy, right? I think it'll be good. I think that, you know, again, you get bombarded with all of this Super Bowl coverage, and it, and it's great. And and the, the whole world is watching the Carolina Panthers, and that's fun. But I think after two weeks, uh, I've seen it, certainly, and I feel it, the fatigue. Uh, you just want the game to be here. I just want the Super Bowl to be here already. I want to watch the two teams play, and I'm really tired of talking about it. So, if you're tired of listening to the to that, maybe you take a moment and and watch us on Good Day Charlotte on Fox 46, and, and we'll be there live at 6:50 in the morning. But again, set your DVR. I don't want I don't want you to get up. I think you you know deserve to sleep in on Super Bowl Sunday and get ready for the game that kicks off you know, somewhere around 7, whenever they get around to it. It's always, oh, it starts at 6.30? Okay, they'll probably kick off at 8 o'clock at night. But, uh, yeah, uh, so excited for the Super Bowl, so happy for the Panthers because I am enjoying watching Charlotte rally around a professional team in the championship because it gives me hope that the city will explode with enthusiasm when when the Hornets eventually make – their deep playoff run and if the last two games are are any indication when this team is healthy they can compete and beat some of the best teams in the eastern conference unfortunately last night in charlotte against miami they weren't able to pull out the victory some late game execution issues turnovers defense Miami wins 98 95 the three big stars for the Hornets Marvin Williams scoring 27 points on 12 of 17 shooting Nick Batum 21 7 and 6 Kimball Walker 20.6 assist five rebounds so the starters played very well but it was the bench for the Hornets that really hurt this team and it was the one particular bench player for Miami that made the difference Hassan Whiteside 10 points, 10 blocks, 10 rebounds. That's an assistless triple-double for those counting. And those blocks I thought really made the difference because they denied that that bench for the Hornets any room underneath. And for some reason the Hornets kept attacking Hassan Whiteside directly with either, you know, a, a cut or just a simple pick and roll. The ball was not moving to the second or third option once Hassan Whiteside dug down. I mean, and, and he was leaving Spencer Hall's wide open in the corner and Jeremy Lim, Jeremy Lynn, MKG, several others missing opportunities to make either pull force Hassan Whiteside out of the paint or make him think that's what you have to do with a shot blocker who gets into the, into a rhythm and it started early in the first quarter, Hassan Whiteside sending back Cody Zeller several times. Once you start to understand that a guy is getting into a rhythm underneath the basket and he starts hunting for blocks, and that's what Hassan Whiteside was doing. He wasn't he wasn't playing amazing defense. He was hunting for blocks and the Hornets were just sheep for the slaughter and, and continuing to go up against him expecting him not to do what he's done all season, which is block shots, which is defend the rim. And teams have been able to beat the Heat with Hassan starting because they've been able to expose the issue that he presents when he starts hunting for blocks. Because you can beat that. And Jeremy Lin had opportunities to beat that by getting it to Spencer Hawes in the corner, and he missed those opportunities. MKG, Marvin Williams, same kind of thing. They missed opportunities to make the second or third look, and guys like Nick Batum and Spencer Hawes and Kimball Walker were open for shots because Hassan Whiteside was hunting for blocks, and the Hornets were sheep for the slaughter, unfortunately. So the Hornets lose 98-95. This was a tough one. I think this was a tough one. I don't think it's any indicator of, you know, playoff positioning, whether they belong in the playoffs or not, because they competed very well in this game. And, and, And before the fourth quarter execution seemed like they were in control the entire game. It was a close game throughout, but the Hornets just seemed to be a notch better on offense. I mean, you have to understand Miami 0 for 9. From beyond the arc, did not score a three-point basket, and that's a testament to the Hornets' perimeter defense, which played really well. But Miami rebounded the ball better, forty-eight to forty-one, seven-rebound advantage for the Miami Heat. A lot of offensive boards in this game for Miami, eight offensive boards. A lot of them came in that fourth quarter when the Heat started to turn things around. Props to the Heat for doing that, and and Marvin Williams was the star of this game for the Hornets. Again, 12 of 17, did a lot inside, was able to drive to the basket consistently, but obviously his foul against Chris Bosh late in the fourth quarter, the and-one conversion for Bosh that put Miami up late was a crucial play, and then he was part of the turnover, one of the turnovers, when the Hornets had a chance to tie or lead late in the game, and he was certainly disappointed by that. Here he was after the game. I think for myself personally, there was a few plays down the stretch. You know, you give up the Bosh and you know, late in the game, when we're trying to get the ball in bounds we get it in bounds and I'm trying to get it to Kemba and d makes a hell of a play, gets a steal. So we're talking about giving up an and one, you know, we're still down three in the game and then he turned the ball over. So it um, feels like everything good I did tonight was just wiped away in like literally 30 seconds. So he was obviously disappointed after the game. I'm sure the entire team was frustrated by one that they thought really slipped out of their hands, but they don't have time to think too hard about it because the Washington Wizards, another divisional team, come into town, come to Charlotte tonight. We'll have a full preview of that game coming up after my interview with Russell Varner about the guy that you just heard, Marvin Williams. You know, those those kind of games against tough divisional opponents – will normally come down to a few plays, and the Hornets have to learn how to execute on those plays. But I don't think Marvin Williams has anything to be ashamed about because his performance was so magnificent, not only on the offensive end, but also on the defensive end, where I thought he did a great job of uh, uh, switching and and frustrating Chris Bosh. And, you know, he's been a block machine this entire year, he got one block in this game, but I thought defensively he played a big role for this team, and, and he continues to do so. So I don't think he has anything to be ashamed about. I just think the Hornets have to, as a team, finish these type of games. They finished against Cleveland. They didn't finish against Miami, and, and I don't think it's on one particular player. I think it's on the entire team. They have to they have to come together and and execute on offense get the ball inbounded cleanly and, and and cleanly pass the ball that's the thing these turnovers at the end of games uh, this is not the first time that this has happened this is not the first time this has killed the Charlotte Hornets late in a game turning the ball over it's just inexcusable because when you're in that kind of situation you got to get a shot up if the shot doesn't fall you can live with that in some in some respects If you get even a decent look, I mean, we saw Troy Daniels in Sacramento. That was not a decent look, but the ball got in the air. And when it's in the air, it has a chance to go in. But against Miami, that ball did not have a chance to fall in the basket. And the Hornets fall against Miami. And I'm sure that will be on their minds when they play the Washington Wizards. Because the last time the Hornets played the Wizards, they turned the ball over 18 times. That's not going to cut it. It wouldn't have cut it against Miami. They had 12 turnovers. That's about the average for the Hornets. You can't turn the ball over, especially in the fourth quarter, especially late in the fourth quarter when you have a chance to lead. We've seen time after time this season the bench for the Charlotte Hornets, bench force one, step up in a big way especially when this team was fully healthy. The bench played a significant role in, in helping the starters when the starters were, were trying to figure things out. But Steve Clifford, very frustrated with the bench's performance. You got Jeremy Lin, 1 of 6 from the field, blocked by Hassan Whiteside several times. He was minus 14 for 6 points. Frank Kaminsky, 0 of 2. Spencer Hawes, 1 of 5. P.J. Hairston, 0 for 1. And Jeremy Lamb, only 9 minutes of play, Two of six from the field he was minus eight, four points, two rebounds you didn't you really didn't get any kind of significant impact from the bench when they were on the court. I mean there was no it, it, they didn't rebound well and not score They didn't score well and you know not rebound there just really was no significant impact and when you have Hassan Whiteside with the impact that he had. Eric Spolster really has a chess piece than Hassan Whiteside. I think as long as Amari can continue to give you 15 to 20 minutes out on the floor and you have a guy in Justice that can play a six-man role, you keep Hassan Whiteside coming off the bench because there there really aren't players in, in the NBA's second unit across the board that can match up With what Hassan Whiteside brings you defensively and offensively, he is not as skilled a big man as I'm sure he wants to be at this time, but he can still knock down a bucket or two with his physical presence. And on the offensive boards, he poses a real problem. I tell you, a seven-game series with this Miami team would be fun to watch because it's two different styles of basketball and there are a lot of different lineup modifications that both teams can make to counter one another, and I respect Eric Spolstra's ability to play chess with his basketball pieces, and I think Clifford can do the same, so I don't know if it's in the cards for the Hornets and the Heat to meet in the playoffs, but boy, I think it would be a fun matchup to watch, so... Let's get to this interview, though, with Russell Varner of At The Hive. He wrote a great article on Marvin Williams. Marvin has been spectacular for the Hornets this season. We keep calling him a glue guy. He's been a consistent presence for the Hornets in in a season that has been marked by injuries and inconsistencies. Let's take a listen to Russell Varner on Marvin Williams. (laughs) I think
0: I'm starting to get over that game last night. Maybe.
1: It was a tough one. Ugh, that hurt. Every that I f- hurt a lot. I felt every Hassan Whiteside block in oh, my chest.
0: God. I'm sitting there like watching it with a couple of my friends, and one of my buddies, it turns out, I guess has a huge man crush on him, and it's just like, see? See, this is why we need Whiteside. This is why we need Whiteside. I'm like, Josh. I get that, but now is really not the time to start rubbing this in.
1: The one guy that we wanted to talk about for this Saturday sit-down, Marvin Williams, had a spectacular game for 30 minutes, 12 of 17 from the floor, 27 points, and he did all that having only knocked down two three-pointers, his his calling card this season, the three-pointer. But it was that last section of the game where he gave up the and one to Chris Bosh and then the turnover – that we'll all remember from this game, but you know, before that, he played spectacular.
0: Absolutely, and I know. I was joking last night that Marvin Williams was making me look like a genius with the timing of my article, just because he's been playing out of his mind lately. Horns uh, PR released a stat last night. I'm not sure if you saw. The so Williams is the first player in franchise history since Jamal Mashburn back during the 2000-2001 season mm. to get at least 500 points, 300 rebounds, and 53 pointers made through the first 59 games of the season. Wow. Right? That's a stat.
1: That's a great stat, and it involves one guy, Jamal Mashburn, who I think may be the most underappreciated, underrated Charlotte Hornets player in the history of the franchise, I have his 24 jersey hanging up in the studio because I I, I appreciate what Mashburn did.
0: Oh, you are my hero for that, and <laughs> I absolutely agree. He has never talked about enough with the greats that have come through uh, this franchise. But, yeah, the game from Marvin Williams last night was one of the best, at least offensively, that I've seen from him since he came to Charlotte. Uh that's that game last night is probably what we were hoping we could get from Marvin on a semi regular basis. But as you said, just the late game execution. Not just for Marvin, but for the entire team down the stretch. Just that final minute or two just awful.
1: Yeah, they couldn't they couldn't find a rhythm late And we've seen both sides of the coin with the Hornets in that respect because we've seen them make some incredible comebacks in the fourth quarter and finish those comebacks against Washington, against Sacramento. But then we've also seen early in the season, they dropped a similar type of game to this, to the Heat. Uh, But I guess this one was different, Russell, because the Hornets seemed to be in control. There was no comeback necessary you know, no no uh, energy level issue because they were in control. And I think that's probably what disappointed fans most.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I was at the game and you're just sitting there and it just felt like the Hornets, as you said, were in complete control. And then all of a sudden, after that Chris Bosh and one, you look up and it's, wait, the Heat are winning? And just everything just kind of flipped on its head and the team just was not able again to execute late and because they weren't hitting the threes and then every time they tried to drive the lane, Hassan Whiteside right there to block everything in the world and then some, and that just really threw the team for a loop. And another thing that I think threw him for a loop is that the Heat really, it kind of seemed beat Charlotte almost at their own game. They played much better deed than the Hornets when it mattered most. They out-rebounded Charlotte. One came after the Hornets absolutely dominated the Cavaliers, one of the best rebounding teams in the league. They out-rebounded the Cavs by 21. And then last night, the Heat come and out-rebounded the Hornets by seven, including limiting the Hornets to only three offensive rebounds. One came after, I believe, they had like 14 offensive boards. And then... The big thing that's really surprising if you look at the box score, bench points. Charlotte, which we obviously know has one of the better, higher scoring benches in the league, had outscored 29-12 to last night. Only 12 points off the bench. That has to be near a season low, if not a season low.
1: Yeah, a lot of that had to do with Hassan Whiteside and Justice Winslow as well. Both of those guys tallying 10 rebounds and and five uh, total offensive rebounds between the two. And Justice obviously had a critical offensive rebound down the stretch. But you're right. I mean, the bench did not step up. I felt like Frank Kaminsky struggled at times with Chris Bosh, Spencer Hawes. Uh, Tried to pull Hassan Whiteside away from the basket, but Jeremy Lin and Marvin Williams and even MKG seemed content to go right at Hassan and challenge him. And Whiteside stepped up to the challenge, getting the triple-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds, 10 blocks, the assistless triple-double. So it was a tough game. The Hornets lose 96-95. And oh, hey, by the way, the the Miami Heat scored zero three-pointers. 0 oh, of 9. That's a 0% from the 3-point line for you uh you stats folks. So that was uh, that's a tough way to lose a game in the modern NBA. Yeah. That's a tough way to lose a game in the modern NBA, not to um uh for the the opposing team not to score a 3-point shot. But let's let's talk about your article that you wrote uh about Marvin Williams profiling someone who you say isn't getting enough attention uh, from maybe Hornets fans or or national media for having a a resurgence in his career. And it's been a long career for Marvin. Uh, Two big teams he's played for, Atlanta Hawks, Utah Jazz, where he's made uh, impacts on both of those teams, but not at a star level. What's made Marvin's season this year so special in your mind?
0: It's been the fact that he's been able to really Redefine himself as a defender this season. That has been the biggest difference. Uh, if you look statistically, he's averaging more points, the most points per game than he has since the 08-09 season with the Atlanta Hawks. But I'm trying to look up the exact number right now. Uh, as of this moment, Marvin Williams has 52 blocks on the season and 50 games played. His previous high for a season was 46 blocks in 81 games. He has never at any point in time become such a big shot-blocking threat. And the biggest surprising stat that I found when I was looking through, if you look among qualified players for three-point percentage, Marvin Williams is the only player in the NBA to lead his team in three-point percentage and block shots. The only one. And I'd love to, if I had more time to go and look back, over time and to see how many players in NBA history have led their team and blocked shots in block shots and three-point percentage because there cannot be that many.
1: Yeah. Do you have any guesses as to why you think that Marvin has stepped up his defensive game in this way?
0: I would guess that uh, Coach Clifford came to him and talked in the offseason and maybe talked with about the lack of an inside presence defensively after the loss of Bismarck Biombo. and just maybe mentioning how the team needed that. And Marvin Williams has been the consummate pro and been able to evolve for the most part to become whatever his team needed him to be. And we're seeing that right here. He's be- finally become a three and D player that the team was hoping that he would be last year. And honestly, he just never lived up to the expectations and now he's, become that and then some being able to become a very good a rebounder, being able to guard multiple positions and that defensive versatility is so key in today's NBA.
1: Yeah, and I don't it, I don't I don't think that's a bad guess because the Hornets knew that they were not going to have that inside presence and Marvin <clears throat> Marvin's role has certainly changed from even last season where he was mainly a quiet offensive player who would wait for his opportunity to score, the ball would come to him as opposed to this year when he's doing a lot more flaring up to the top, going after the ball. And you can look at his you know, preseason conditioning where he talked about doing a lot more cardio, getting his body in shape. Now, whether he knew that they were going to need him to – play this more significant role in the offense and the defense, I don't know. Uh, but he's certainly doing this uh, to elongate his career, and it's worked out. Why do you think that his efforts fly under the radar as opposed to even other members on this team like Kimba and Nick Batum?
0: Probably because he doesn't make the big highlight plays. Uh, Kimba Walker, will, he'll get the big explosive gains where he – we'll drop 50 points in a game or we'll cross someone up with a a nice crossover and get highlight plays. Nick Batum will get a really nice pass or get the highlights where you see him making three pointers and getting fouled like way back when, when the season started, Marvin Williams doesn't really do much of that. He contributes in the less flashy way. So make threes, but not really in the crucial times. He'll get the ugly basket, so to speak, offensive rebounds and putbacks deep in the paint. And he never really exploded from many big points until this recent six game stretch on the season. He's only averaging 10.6 points a game, but over the last six games, that's jumped up to 18.7. So before Marvin Williams be averaging maybe nine, 10, 11 points, but now he's blowing up and like last night's game season high 27 points team high I think a game high if I and to look back at the box score correctly yeah team a game high 27 points for him he's never been that kind of guy for the Hornets and he's just always been overlooked I think mainly because he doesn't get those big highlight plays he does the yeah little- I think
1: that's yeah I think that's definitely an aspect and I think that consistency in his scoring this year has been lacking, and that's not really a slight on him. That's just sort of a reality of certain players in the NBA, and his scoring is impressive as of late. He scored 27, 16, 19, 20, and 21 in the last six or seven games, and so he's you know stepped up his scoring now, but there was a point, I think, at the end of December where you weren't getting much offensive production. The shooting fell off for Marvin Williams. And so, you know, I think that the consistency may play a part in, in him not getting the recognition that guys like Kemba and Batum do. Uh, but we, we know that Marvin is a good three-point shooter, Russell. What are some of the other underrated aspects of his offensive renaissance this season that you're seeing?
0: Um, you really saw it last night, his ability to drive to the basket and start really making shots closer to the basket shots within uh, the three point line before last year, he took almost no, um, shots close to the basket. If I remember correctly, I'm trying to look up the exact stat from my article. Here we are. This is one of my favorite stats that I found. Through 48 games this season, and I'm quoting myself here, he's already taken 118 vehicles within 8 feet of the basket, including 90 shots in the restricted area and 49 in the paint non-restricted area. If you go back to last year in 78 games, he took 106 shots within 8 feet of the basket, 86 in the restricted area, 37 in the paint non-restricted area. Last year, he was really almost... Locked into just staying behind the three point line. And this year, he's more open to being able to take more shots and being able to attack the basket and not just settle for threes. And that's really just opened up his offensive game so much.
1: And he's always had these tools in his tool belt. I mean, we've seen him, we saw him make these plays, type of plays early in his career in Atlanta, more athletic, more going towards the rim. And I think the story on him changed when he went to utah uh, when he suffered a few knee injuries and he, he slowed down a bit and the stretch four aspect of his game started to take more of a precedent and i think if you're a player and you have that kind of story written on you there's a tendency sometimes for you to fall into that and say okay that's that's going to be my role and and I'll do the best I can in that role, stay in the corner, stretch for, do what I can on defense, try to overcome any matchup issues I have. And I think it's a testament to Marvin Williams that he decided this season I'm going to buck that and you know stepped up his cardio game, stepped up his offseason regimen and completely transformed, his offensive game in a way that's really benefited the Hornets.
0: Absolutely. it, And I give him all the credit in the world for that because, as you said, I do think a good number of players would say, I've already been in the league 10, 11 years. I am who I am. Uh, Al Jefferson had a great quote during media day uh, two years ago. Um, I can't remember who asked him, but someone asked him, have you ever thought about adding a three-pointer or a left-handed shot to your repertoire he you said man i'm an old dog you can't teach me new tricks i am what i am and that's all that i am or something to that effect and marvin williams has been the opposite of that and it's wonderful to see a guy being able to completely well not completely but very close to it redefine who he is yeah. and as you and just as you said being able to change his off season plans, his cardio, his workout plan, just become this new player that the Hornets so need. And let's be honest, there probably is some issue or some motivation in the fact that this is a contract year. And Marvin is probably looking to get a little extra money. And I don't blame him at all. And he's deserved it. With the way that he's played, he's absolutely deserved it. And I hope that the Hornets give him the money he deserves because he's become a very crucial part to their team as it currently stands.
1: Well, he's been, I think he's been an emotional leader for this team. He's brought an intensity level to this team especially uh, when MKG was out. And MKG has been, it's been stated many times that MKG brings that fire to this lineup, to an otherwise uh, quiet leadership core that this team has. But Marvin uh, even last night, after hitting a few big buckets, he's anything but quiet. He is a—he's got a fire in his belly, and and he's an intense guy. And it's fun to watch him get into a groove. I mean, the crowd was really into it against Miami, and, and yeah, I think the, the the fans would certainly miss him. But there is this aspect, especially with three and D guys, and with older three and D guys, there's this aspect of. Can we sell high? And and especially when you have a franchise in the Charlotte Hornets that are not in the top four in the East conversation this season. I don't know if it's in the cards, uh, unless there is a spectacular run in March and April. So you're still looking to next year to make a significant run in the playoffs. So do you sell high on Marvin now? I think that's the question.
0: And it's going to be very, very tempting, and very hard not to say no, depending on what the offer is.
1: And MKG changes this conversation too, right?
0: It absolutely does, because Marvin, for the longest time, would be one of the key guys to try and guard someone like a LeBron James. But now we have MKG here to do that. So you don't need Marvin Williams to do that. And as you just said earlier, Marvin Williams, while MKG was out, he would at times become the fiery leader and the defensive quarterback almost for this team. And now MKG is back, and that makes Williams almost expendable. As I said earlier, he's the most tradable asset, and while I would hate to see him go, if it's for the better of the team long term – it's very hard to say no to something like that
1: it it's a very interesting situation because of the timing because marvin is playing cuz he played great basketball to begin the year and then there was a dip and you wondered <clears throat> excuse me you wondered if his play was going to tail off for good if if the legs were finally catching up to him but it doesn't appear to be that way as he's playing his best basketball as we approach the trade deadline. Plus, you get MKG back. It's going to be very interesting, Russell. What would what what kind of assets? Not particular players, but what kind of assets would you want back for a guy like Marvin? Uh,
0: if you're getting, trading away someone like Marvin, uh, see, this is why I'm glad I'm not Rich Cho. This is why he gets paid big money to do this, and I, I do not. Ah. Uh i want key pieces obviously to try and build around the future. I feel if you're trading away someone like Marvin, you're trading them away to a playoff contender and you're...
1: Got to get back some youth, I would think.
0: Yes. I, I don't want to say you're punting on this season and giving up on a playoff run. But if you're giving away a piece like Marvin Williams, that I think would hurt some of your playoff chances. So you have to get some youth pieces, draft picks, just something to try and help build the team in the image that of what coach Clifford wants, which is what we saw the first month or two of the season where the team was hitting threes to no end and playing great defense. Maybe uh, players kind of like Troy Daniels, someone who would just on fire from outside. If we can get more players like that to try and stretch the floor, I would guess that would be the type of asset you look for in this situation. or Uh, To go another way, perhaps to try and get some inside presence. If you trade away Marvin Williams, there goes your best blocker on your team. Because I believe Kemba Walker is second on this team in blocks currently. Which you can look at it two ways. You can say Kemba Walker is a very good shot blocker, especially for a point guard. Or you could say, oh my lord, the Hornets have absolutely no one who can block shots because they're starting point guard who is six feet at best is second on their team in blocks. So if you trade away someone like Marvin Williams, try and get an inside post defender or someone who can be that anchor inside on defense.
1: Always great to talk to Russell Varner about basketball. He is one of many smart basketball minds that we have on the roster at at atthehive.com. And it's a great article on Marvin Williams. We didn't get to everything that's in the article, so you want to make sure that we've linked it up in the post. You want to make sure that you get a chance to get over there and and read about Marvin Williams. It's interesting to think about this aspect of do you trade high and lose the intangibles that Marvin Williams brings to the court, or do you sacrifice those intangibles now that you have MKG back and the intangibles that he brings. Do you sacrifice uh, what Marvin gives you away from the basketball and uh, cash in on his recent success? I think it's a tough decision for Rich Cho to make, and and we'll be here to cover whatever happens at the trade deadline. Rich Cho, known for making trades, known for making small deals, and moving Marvin, a 3 and D guy, a guy that I think has a lot of value across the NBA, some playoff contenders, some championship contenders could certainly use a guy with Marvin Williams' skill set, and the Hornets could possibly take advantage and get some long-term, some future gain with that. All right, let's talk about this Wizards game coming up tonight, 7 o'clock p.m. tip. The Washington Wizards, the last time the Hornets played the Wizards, they lost 109-101 to in Washington. The Hornets pulled another fourth-quarter comeback, something we're getting used to seeing with this Hornets team. Uh, Unfortunately, it fell short. Wall's 27 points were enough to get the Wizards the victory. As I said in in the pre-interview segment, the Hornets had 18 turnovers against the Washington Wizards. That's not going to cut it. They're going to have to do a lot better job protecting the basketball we have a lot of guys on the Washington Wizards that love to steal the basketball, and then Wall being chief among them. And if he gets the ball, it's basically an automatic two points on the other end. In that game, Washington was 9 of 20 from the three-point line. And Washington, this is not breaking news for anyone who watches the team, they're not a great three-point shooting team. Uh, Dudley had several three-pointers, Wall Wall had several three-pointers. you got to limit that, and you have to limit Bradley Beal from beyond the arc as well because he's a shooter, baby. But the one aspect of the Washington Wizards offense that you really have to do some kind of job disrupting is the John Wall-Gortat pick-and-roll. It's really been the one consistent rock that this offense that has struggled this year to be consistent has had. And if you're the Hornets... You have to pay special attention to when those two guys try to get together and lock up and play a two-man game. You have to do something to to figure that out because if not, it could be a long night in Charlotte for the Hornets. And we've talked about this February being important. We've talked about it needing to be a 500-month because there are a lot of winnable games in March and in April. There are a lot of potential Runs that the Hornets could make not only to get into the playoffs, but position themselves, you, know, you maybe in the the sixth, fifth seed because there is there's so much turmoil in the middle of that Eastern Conference. A lot of things can happen, but they have to win games like the game that they'll have against Washington tomorrow night if they have any chance of making those runs. Because you have to you have to be in position and i think if you're under fi- if you go under 500 for february that means that you're you're several games back of 500 heading into march and i don't think that's any kind of position that the hornets want to be in as they prepare to make their playoff run but we've seen over these past two games even though there was a disappointing finish against miami we've seen that when the hornets are healthy they have the pieces to compete with the top teams in the east and this isn't a fluke Because early in the year, the Hornets were healthy with Al Jefferson, without Al Jefferson, without MKG. The Hornets were somewhat healthy, and they have a strategy, and they have the talent to compete with many teams in the East. If they can put all of those pieces together, talent, intensity, focus, this is a dangerous Hornets team because they have so much three-point shooting. It'll be fun to watch, and we'll be right here covering it the whole way. Another reminder, set your DVR tomorrow morning, Super Bowl Sunday. You don't have to wake up. You can just set your DVR, catch the 6.30 a.m. hour of Good Day Charlotte. David and I will be on your television. You can see us talk about the Hornets with Logan Sherrill of Good Day Charlotte. We're going to be recapping this Washington Wizards game tonight, and we will give you a preview of what to expect Hornets Bulls on Monday. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. We're taking it from the radio to TV. There's no stopping Hive Talk Live, and it's all because you guys listen and tweet us and do everything that you do. And we we can't say enough how much we appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. We just passed fifteen hundred followers. I'm telling you, this is a this is a Hornets talk revolution. We do sports talk differently here. And, and we hope you appreciate it and we hope you enjoy listening we'll see you tomorrow set your DVRs watch it later watch it before the Super Bowl and then we're right back here Tuesday 6 o'clock p.m. Hive Talk Live Let's Swarm Charlotte